digging in the dirt. I'm digging in the dirt. This is Digging in the Dirt with Kevin Gallagher, where Kevin and his guests dig a little deeper into today's issues surrounding the environment, climate change, farming, gardening, and food. And now my final guest on this episode of Digging in the Dirt is Sephra Alexandra. Her website describes her as the seed huntress, and she has fortified community seed banks internationally on island nations, hunted for rare endangered seeds for seeds of success, and is now taking the lead at Connecticut NOFA's Pollinator Health Initiative, the Ecotype Project. And she is here today to talk about the project as well as the Eco 59 Project. Welcome, Sephra. It is such a delight to be here, and what a beautiful studio. Definitely. <laughs> Almost intimidating for my first live radio experience. <laughs> yeah, you'll do just fine. Thanks for coming by and talking to us today. Well, thank you for having me. You know, I have this uh, other piece here that maybe we should play it first, and then we can talk about what, what it's all about. How's that sound? Our pollinators don't see property boundaries and state lines. They see host plants, blooms, and spots to nest. Land trusts and public parks do an amazing job protecting the wilderness, but their land alone will never be enough to provide habitat for the diverse wildlife on which our world relies. We need to engage all property owners, from homes to highway medians, schoolyards to farms, to provide corridors for insects, birds, and mammals. But restoring habitat starts with native plants. These are the species that have co-evolved with the climate and ecosystem of our area and are best suited to thrive here. Something many of us don't realize is that most native plants sold in the Northeast are grown from seed from the Midwest and beyond. So how can we get the right plants in the right place? This is where the Ecotype Project comes into play, helping to repopulate the northeastern landscape with our own local native plants. We are scientists, farmers, homeowners, and conservationists working together to create a more robust, abundant, resilient landscape. The process starts with botanists sustainably collecting seed from wild plants in our own ecoregion. This seed is grown out by farmers to establish what we call founders plots. From these plots, farmers are able to harvest thousands of new seeds each season. Then, the seed savers step in, and the seed is cleaned, counted, and prepared for nursery production. These valuable seeds are then grown out by the tens of thousands at local nurseries. Finally, with the collective efforts of landscapers, gardeners, conservation groups, river keepers, and concerned homeowners, these plants find their way into the ground. By planting ecotype plants, we are restoring diversity to our ecosystem, supporting our farmers and food system, and creating a more resilient landscape. No longer do we see nature as being constrained to a few remaining parks and preserves but instead as a massive, interconnected system of land and people in which we, you, play a vital role. The land preserve matters, as does the farm and the backyard. Together, we can work towards a more diverse and connected environment. 
So there you have it. That's from the website at the Connecticut NOFA website, correct, on the Ecotype Project. It's a plant and place-based approach to land stewardship and agrarian resilience in the Northeast. So why don't you flesh that out a little bit? Well, at first, I think it's brilliant. The other two guests that you had on, um, certainly the Connecticut NOFA is the Northeast Organic Farming Association. Right. So why is there a native seed or pollinator health initiative within uh, an organic farming association? Well, if we don't have the food and habitat that our pollinators need on our farms, then, well, friends, we don't have the food and local food security that we need. So it's very important with all the great work that Green Village Initiative is doing. They actually have some of their ecotypes on their reservoir and um, other farms. And we want to make sure that these plants are in the right place. So um, what you've heard from that video is really talking about provenance, the question of provenance of seeds, right? And so as a farming organization, especially in the organic movement, we had to really rein in where we were sourcing our food from, right? And that was the whole local food movement. And now what the Ecotype Project has been championing and fortifying, putting all of these experts throughout the Northeast that are doing this great work, the different facets that are incorporated in uh, fortifying a seed supply chain, the, the botanists, the farmers, the nurserymen and women, um, what we're doing is um, we're putting them all together to make these seeds locally available. So we're fortifying a local seed shed, right? So we have watersheds, food set sheds, and seed sheds. And that was something, uh, a term coined by Ken Green up in the Hudson Valley um, Seed Company. So it's, it's a great concept, right? We need to know where our seeds are coming from and grow them and share them locally. Seed shed. Seed shed. Seed shed. Seed shed. Yeah. S-E-E-D. Okay. It means what? So a seed shed, right? So when you think about your watershed, right? Have you have maybe some of you have heard that term. If you kind of think about topography or take if you take your hands and put them together, if you're thinking that you're a rain droplet, right, on the topographic landscape, wherever that rain droplet falls, down slope, that's within your watershed. Okay. So it's just it was a term that was utilized to have people understand water conservation, right? You want to know what watershed you're located in. If you ask a lot of local residents, you know, what watershed you're in, oftentimes they don't know. And I hope you don't ask me right now. <laughs> but the really what the concept is is um, that same idea as I said with the food shed, right? We used to be getting our food from 800 miles away and 400 miles away, right? Well, then once we're supporting our local farmers, then our food, we know who our farmers are. We, we meet our farmers and we know where our food's coming from and that distance that we're driving to access or walking, preferably, to get our food becomes a lot smaller, right? right. So how can we do that with the native seed movement? And so the other, um, the gentleman that you had on from the pollinator pathway, this project really was birthed from all of the great work that the pollinator pathway has done. They've done such a remarkable job for getting so many citizen scientists engaged in understanding, hey, like we have an issue with losing our pollinators and we need to start planting these native plants. And so now every time we see the leadership from Pollinator Pathway, there's a hundred new towns that have joined this movement. That's awesome. Right? So that makes our work with the Ecotype Project really easy because people are ready to hear about pollinators. But now it becomes the question of, okay, we're so excited that everyone wants to put in native plants. 
but where are you getting your native plants and where's the seed that you're planting? Like, where's the genetics of what those native plants are that you're putting on your landscape? Where's that coming from? Why is that important? Great question. Well, um, if you think about it, you know, so let's think, let's put our bug eyes on, not our human eyes on, right? And if we're flying over the landscape, do we see where Connecticut ends or Massachusetts begins? No. No. We see the riparian corridors. That means rivers or the broadleaf forests or the seaside ecologies, right? And so um, this wonderful gentleman, James Obernick at the EPA, the... um, uh, the uh, <laughs> Environmental Protection Agency. <laughs> Thank you, Kevin. <laughs> Takes a village. Uh, the Environmental Protection Agency made this amazing map where he said, you want to know what forestry folks in ornithology, bird folks, limnology, lakes, you know, all these diff- disparate sciences from soils to rocks to everyone was working off a slightly different data set and a slightly different framework, right? Mm-hmm. But if we want to do conservation and restoration, what do we need? We need to work off of a shared framework. So what the EPA did is they overlaid all those different data sets. And what emerged was something called ecoregions. So if any of you out there want to look up, uh, you can look up ecoregions of the EPA. And what this does is it shows you a map of broad stroke artistic mosaic of ecologies, right? So from my from my point of view and from the from the ecotype projects perspective, what that map is telling us, we're in eco-region 59, go eco-region 59, um, <laughs> for all of you out there. Um, so what we're saying is the genetics of the plants that you collect within eco-region 59, which kind of goes from the tip of New York City up to below Maine, um, you can proliferate that throughout that eco-regional area and know that you're putting the right plants in the right place. Right. And the reason why that matters is let's think about monarchs, for example. Okay. Monarchs, the the darling child of the pollinator movement, their host plant is milkweed. But if we're buying milkweed seed that was grown out in the Midwest, because that's where the majority of our native plants are grown out, well, that milkweed is actually adapted to that soil, that climate, and its bloom times are blooming for the slightly different variations of seasons and zones that are out there. Why does that matter? Well, if we put in those milkweeds in our landscape here in Connecticut, if those milkweeds are blooming a little bit too long, then even though it looks like you have a whole bunch of monarchs out in your garden and you're doing a great job, and if any of you have bought native plants from the Midwest, great work. We're glad that the pollinators have food. Don't worry. We're just elevating the conversation to you're the Getting to nuanced. The next. Yeah, exactly. We're just getting very nuanced. So, so here we are. But um, basically what happens is monarchs go on a five-year migration. So if they're staying up at our milkweeds blooming too long, they miss like the domino effect all the way down the coast, the other milkweeds, right? Okay. So it's and been, they could die off, but I mean, right, or be trapped, right? Right, because they're missing their food supply, right? So it's sort of like the they've evolved together in this environment. So the plant and the bug are evolving together, so they have needs from each other. Exactly, it's that beautiful coevolution, that symphony of ecology, like you know, the lock and key, where. These, uh, you, you know, our, our bug friends and our plant friends have been evolving together since time immemorial, right? Just like we select our heirlooms as gardeners digging in the dirt. 
Well, friends, our entomological partners in pollination are doing the same thing. They're like, you know what? We like the way this tastes and this grows. And so preserving the diversity of place, those wild types, is preserving the greatest arcs of diversity that are going to be most resilient and most adaptable to where we are, especially in the face of changing climates. So, I got it. Yeah. And so now you're providing those types of plants in great multitudes to the local community, whether it be farmers or gardeners or whoever is interested in planting them, you mean? Well, that's what we're working on. And so the fancy word for that place-based wild genetics is an ecotype. Okay. Hence where we get our name, the ecotype project, right? Oh, very good. But- how do we get plants from the wild out into the homeowners, or out, out into the commercial, making them commercially available, right? In other parts of our country, especially where they have wildfires out in Oregon, there is a fully robust seed supply chain from wild gathering through production and cleaning and storage and distribution. We don't have that here in the Northeast. So what we've had to do is with our group of the Native Plant Working Group and these great stakeholders and roundtables that we put together to really design this, what we've done is created a seed supply chain. So that starts with our botanist, namely Jordy Elkins at Highstead, who works under something called SOS protocols. Because what we don't want to do is encourage everyone to go out into the last vestiges of the wildlands and collect these wild seeds. What Jordy does is, with a list of protocols, make sure that the populations are large enough. He knows that it's a truly wild stand. He has permission to collect from there. And what he does with that, with the species we've selected to put into our ecotype project pipeline, is give it to organic farmers. And those organic farmers grow out 200 seeds in what are called founder plots. And from that, we collect the seed off the founder plots. And in terms of climate change, the ROI of seed is amazing because you plant one and you get half a million. So it's positive, my friends. Um, then, you know, the next year you get thousands off of one seed. Um, awesome. So we collect the seed, we clean it, which is a whole nother party, and then we give it to the nursery men and women to make commercially available. And we also have now launched a seed collective. <laughs> well, let's uh, talk about that. We we're listening to Sephra Alexandra. She is Connecticut Nova's Pollinator Health Initiative uh, person at the Ecotype Project. And that is different from the Eco 59, correct? Is that what you were alluding to? Right. So for a bit of clarification, so our executive director at CT NOFA is a wonderful woman, Dina Brewster. She's I think she's been, been on your program. Yes, she is. She's the greatest. And um, she's the one who brought me in after she knew about kind of my work internationally when I came back home and have been helping with the Ecotype Project now in its third year, right? But so now we have all of these amazing organic farmers who are growing out this seed, right? We have, um, we have Jean and Abby who are growing out this beautiful seed at the Hickories, Emily at Hilltop Hanover, Matt at Speckled Rooster, Will and Jill at Hungry Reaper, Will Conway at Stone Acres, Jed and Patrick at Waldingfield, Enya at Helmstead, Mariah and their team at Forest City Farms, and Doreen who runs a great youth-led native seed initiative, Urbanscapes, up in New Hallville. And all of these amazing farmers now have seed, right? It is, there was a study that says the seed is almost never available and if it is, it's 400 miles away, then 800 miles away. So there's a huge demand and no supply. And now, after talking about the Ecotype Project, every garden club, land trust you can imagine throughout Eco59, and at the end they say, oh, this is amazing. We want Ecotypes. Where can we buy them? <laughs> and you say, nowhere other than Heather McCargo at the Wild Seed Project in Maine. Like, 
nowhere. So now in our third year, with all this seed grown out, um, Dina wearing her farmer cap because she's the head farmer at the beautiful Hickory's Farm in Ridgefields, um, Connecticut, organic farm and just gorgeous. Uh, She brought together all of these farmers and started a farmer led seed collective Eco 59 found conveniently at eco 59.com. And now these seeds, the first ecotypic, eco regional, organic, native pollinator seeds are now available to you all. And here we are in eco region 59. So it's, I say, tis the seeds in. <laughs> all my jokes are corny seed jokes to be seeding actually. Because um, these native plants need to go through stratification, right? Which Mm. is a native plant. The seeds will fall to the ground and they have to go through the freezing and the thaw and the snow to actually germinate. So now is actually the perfect time to be seeding native plants in your property if you clear out an area. And so what a great stocking stuffer to be sharing regenerative resilience of defragmenting and rewilding our, our corridors and landscapes here. Awesome. It sounds like a great, great project. And tell everybody where they can get these. We're running out of time here. So tell everybody where they can get it once again, because that's really important. I know people want to get them now after your right. spiel. Well, <laughs> um, it's at eco59.com. And even if you don't want to buy seeds, um, there's beautiful napkins and mugs that are drawn by these local artists. And so it's also a way to help spread the word by helping to appreciate the aesthetic, right? To be able to spread the importance of putting these pollinators back in our landscape. And there's also really fun seed balls, which I like to broadcast with my favorite slingshot. Those are fun. Yeah. You just... Anthropocry. Shoot them out there. You shoot them out there. There's all these great ockeries, dispersal mechanisms, right? Birds do it. Ornithocery, the wind does it. Animocery, like the dandelion papus that blows away. And anthropocery, which is dispersal of seed by humans. And I think more than anything, as we end this, is we all have a role to play in helping to caretake and steward our landscapes. And here, finally, is a local resource to do just that. So I wish you... All great seating and happy holidays. Well, thank you so much for coming, Sephra. Sephra Alexandra of Connecticut NOFA's Ecotype Project. Thank you so much for coming. It was great. It's a pleasure. It is an absolute pleasure. Hope to dig in the dirt with you soon. Digging in the dirt. Digging in the dirt. You've been listening to Digging in the Dirt with Kevin Gallagher. To hear past programs anytime you want, visit the podcast section of WPKN.org or diggingindthedirtradio.com.